Welcome to the third episode of the Hot Esquina podcast. We are John and Enrique, two Cuban dudes with a passion for Yankees baseball. Today we're going to talk about lockout negotiations, today's media day at the minicamp in Tampa, the poll results from our Twitter, and many other things in the world of Yankees baseball. And we'll be right back. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Ahí va. Por el desfile. Olvídala. Esa bola cae en la, en la calle. Esa se va. Se va. Se fue. Welcome back. All right. So let's first talk about the lockout negotiations over the last week or so. And actually more the last couple of days, because the, the last couple of days have been a lot more productive than I mean, really the last month um, between yesterday and today have they've gotten a lot more negotiations accomplished. Um, so Enrique, you're kind of more the the major league guy. So I'll have you kind of take over here. Um, what are your thoughts on the the stuff that they've kind of discussed and gone over and approved and things that they're still working on? Well, yeah. Um, first of all, hi, John. Welcome. Welcome back. I know we didn't record last week, so it's awesome to be back on with you. Um, yeah, man, to say the least, the last two days have been a lot more productive than they were last week, where I believe the last we heard before the players and owners started meeting in Jupiter was um, something along the lines of the owners saying, that the season had to be uh, postponed, that they officially postponed the start of spring training and saying that it was necessary to postpone it and the players pretty much clapping back on social media and saying that that was false. So, you know, things weren't looking too good. Then all of a sudden, a few hours after that, we get, news that they're going to start meeting every single day to try to beat that deadline, which um, if I'm not mistaken, John, maybe you could pull it up. I believe it's uh, the end of this month, right? The 28th or something like that of February. Of February. Yeah. To, to get everything started on time or at least relatively on time, it has to be by the 28th. They have to figure, yeah. they have to have everything negotiated and, and sorted out by then. Okay. Okay. So, so, so I had it pegged. Awesome. Um, okay. So, so in order to do that, yeah, definitely meeting every day is the way to go about it. Um, that does not guarantee it's going to get done. Um, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. That's listening to this podcast. You know, we've seen how these two sides have been with each other, how stubborn they've both been, um, how both sides want to, beat the other for a lack of a better term the owners want to break up the union and the union wants to take it to the owners so there hasn't really been that mutual need or want to come to common ground for the greater good of the game there really hasn't been so i'm not saying that them getting day is means that that's happening and that all of a sudden magically now they're coming together for the sake of the game and they're putting their petty differences aside. I'm not saying that at all, but it is a good 
step towards that, even if that's not what they're intending to do, it's a good step towards that because maybe who knows, you know, I'm maybe I'm being optimistic, maybe I'm living in fairy tale land here, but maybe meeting every day will basically force them, even if they dislike each other so badly, to come to an agreement, maybe even for the sake of not having to see each other anymore. You know what I'm saying, John? Like maybe they might come to a point where they're like, bro, let's just get this done so we don't have to see these people anymore and go from there. I know the last that that I heard was um, about the both sides uh, coming to not an agreement, but both sides kind of like leaning off and you know backing off from their stances for instance i remember that mlb wanted to back off of uh their intent of wanting to control or manipulate the number of jobs in the minor leagues i know that was a major talking point with not only the media but a lot of fans they were very upset about that and rightfully so um the players are trying to basically cave and give a little more as far as uh, arbitration and, you know, uh, the competitive tax. And um, what was the other thing, if I remember correctly, John? Um, the You're asking the, the lottery. person. The, I have the a, draft I have lottery. The draft lottery. That's what it was. That's what it was. My bad. So both sides are trying. They're still a ways away. But but who knows, you know, what are your thoughts? Um, the, the big thing that the big takeaway for me is at least they're doing something um, and they've made some ground in um, between the CBA. You know, they've they've done a little bit of CBA. Um, there's been a little bit of increases in the minimum salary, you know, so it's little by little. And, you know, my my big thing that I keep saying over and over again, and it's not even really just related to um, just the negotiating stuff is if you want to hit a grand slam, you have to get singles and doubles and stuff like that. You have to make little moves to hit a grand slam, you know, and, and maybe that's not the ultimate goal to hit a grand slam, but that's, you need to do little things to get runs in basically. Um, so seeing that they, that the MLB uh, owners agreed that they weren't going to do the, you know, the elimination of getting rid of the, the teams or, or I don't remember exactly how they wanted to word it, but um, the, it says like, there's a, a tweet here from Evan Drellich, the MLB withdrew its proposal asking the union to allow the MLB uh, control or to have the ability to re reduce the minor league roster sizes to me. And, and especially given, you know, what I do covering the lower levels who would end up getting, those would be the guys that would end up getting chopped. Um, to me, that's, that's huge. Um, I know there's a lot of guys that, especially down this way that had their careers affected because you had the GCL one and two teams were combined into one FCL team. Um, they get rid of Pulaski, they get rid of Staten Island. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of trimming that they did with the, the, the reorganization from 2019 to 2021. And there were a lot of guys' careers that were affected at the lower levels. Um, I mean, you look at like Alexander Vargas and Anthony Volpe in a way, even because I mean Volpe was sick, so he has a different thing. But 
he made his debut in Pulaski, if I remember correctly, somewhere around there. I think it was either Pulaski or Staten Island, but it was still one of the lower levels. So I think that's, to me, that's the biggest thing that they've done so far. Um, I'm still not really optimistic that we're going to get this done in about five days because I don't think they're going to negotiate on the weekend. Who knows? I don't know. I haven't heard anything, but just, I don't know. I'm not very optimistic and, um, and we'll get into a little bit more about the media later, but the, the, the buzz within the New York media was they don't sound like they're very optimistic that it's going to get done on time either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no, nothing to give us any, any hope or, or optimism that it will, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we've been through this before we went through this in the 2020 season when they were arguing about a shortened season, if you remember that, and there wasn't even any CBA things involved. Then it was just a shortened season because of COVID and they couldn't even come to an agreement there. It was a nightmare. So, I mean, what's to make us think anything will be different this time. You know, I'm hoping and, you know, little spoiler alert i'm hoping that they do because there's a special day that i want to attend in, in yankee stadium later on this season if there is a season hopefully and you know i'm just i'm holding out hope man you know it's it's listen the important thing here is that there's been progress right i think we can both agree on that right john that there's been progress and you know any little bit helps uh, as long as even if it's more than an hour of a meeting to me that's something because that means they're negotiating something yeah yeah and you know even if they were meeting for 15 minutes as long as something gets done within those 15 minutes and from what i'm reading and obviously from what you're reading on social media things are getting done they're getting done in increments you know it's it's little breadcrumbs at a time but those breadcrumbs eventually will add up you know what i'm saying those pennies and nickels would eventually add up to a dollar you know what i'm saying so will it get done by the 28th i don't know man but as long as it gets done i don't care like you know let's just say worst comes to worst we miss half a month a month of the season who cares as long as it gets done and we get baseball that's what i care about so yeah and when i was talking to some of the media today um just kind of joking around i was saying you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys were covering some of the Tarpons uh, first couple games because they're all down here in Tampa anyways. You know, their, their first game is the 12th. Their first home game is the 12th. So, you know, I can I can totally see the New York media being down here if the season doesn't start on time. Um, now, the question as far as that's concerned is if spring training is pushed back, what happens to the Tarpons or, you know, what happens to even in Arizona? Because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of AAA teams out that way, so that's one of the things that um, that's been on my mind is you know how how does spring training affect the minor league season, um, and th- that hasn't really been hashed out yet. I don't believe. Yeah, yeah, and um, and like and like we've talked about in previous episodes, um, who knows if if they'll even have a full spring training at this point, if they don't come to an agreement soon, it might be a shortened spring training and that's not good for anybody's health. I know we, we got into that. I believe in the last episode about how that affects like, you know, 
pitchers especially that need to get their arms ramped up. So, I mean, as you said in the last episode, uh, John, minor leaguers, they'll be fine. Their season will go on. The show will go on as the saying goes, you know, mm-hmm. in, in in Broadway. But, you know, for major leaguers, the sooner this, this gets done, the better because – even if it is a shortened spring training, they need some type of spring training. They can't just go in cold. Like you're asking for a disaster at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the minimum that they can do um, is three weeks and that's more for the pitchers because the batters, I mean, we saw, we've seen on social media that there's a lot of guys that are playing at the, the USF uh, baseball field here in Tampa. Um, and they're, you know, they're just doing their thing. But one of the things that was discussed today is um, pitching on an actual mound is a lot different than pitching on something artificial in, in a building somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's, agree. that's their, that's the, what the pitchers have been saying. Completely agree. Completely agree. It's, it's, it, it's muscle memory. You know what I'm saying? It, you're, you get used to pitching from, flat ground or from that little hill you know what i'm saying if you're a pitcher and it's not the same no matter how many times you try to replicate it or whatever and that's that has as much to do with it with anything you can bat anywhere like hitters you know i believe you you said recently uh in your in your awesome phone call with uh with keith mcpherson that you know you've seen guys like uh like I believe you said you saw Gio and Glaber at a local high school playing, like they'll be fine. Those guys will be fine because they're getting their conditioning in. They're not getting in-game conditioning, obviously, which that's a whole another beast in itself, but they're getting their conditioning in. they're getting their hitting in. they're getting their swings in. But for the pitchers, they're the ones that need this the most. I completely agree with you. So even if it's those three weeks, they need something. They need they need some type of spring training in order to, for for this to get done. Otherwise, you're going to see a lot of guys on the IL. You're going to see a lot of guys heading towards Tommy John surgery, and nobody wants that. Yeah, and although there's... at this point, at this point, John, that the, Tommy John, some of these guys come back from Tommy John like freaking, you know. Robo Robocop or some like I know that's I'm probably dating myself with that reference, but it's like you know, they come back like bionic with these bionic arms and come back better than ever. Look what happened with Nathan Ovaldi. So that might be in a blessing in itself, but you know, the whole missing almost two years, nobody wants that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's I don't know. I like I said, I'm not really optimistic that anything is gonna really happen, but not anytime soon, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's see. Let's see. All we can do is uh, cross our fingers and hope, and uh, you know, hope these these two <laughs> groups get together and actually do what they're supposed to do. If anything, uh, do like the church does: lock them in a room and 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 you know, keep them in there until until they agree, and that's it. You know, don't let them out. Um. Moving on, John, um, you spoke of the media earlier, and I saw this on Twitter, how you you saw 
um, Yes Network beloved media member Meredith Marakovitz in Media Day Today. Um, I'm sure there were other media members there too. Do you want to give your thoughts on uh, what you saw as far as like Media Day Today? Um, I don't know if it was an official Media Day, but just, you know, I know there was availability to the media today. You guys were in, able to interview players and get their insights. Is there anybody that caught your eye? Any audio tidbit that really like made you be like, wow, anything you want to share with us? Yeah, um, the there's a couple guys that I saw um, that I guess you can say spoke to the media because I, I don't know how formal it was because there wasn't there weren't dedicated times like so and so was going to be out at one o'clock and so and so was going to be out at twelve o'clock like that kind of thing. It wasn't structured that way. It was just kind of when they were available. Um, but I saw um, pitcher Beckway um, who made his debut last May. Um, Ken Waldachuk, who unfortunately I haven't seen throw it on here because of the reorganization. Uh, 2021 number one draft pick, uh, Trey Sweeney. And uh, probably the household name out of the group here is Anthony Volpe. He was the one that kind of rounded out the group um, as far as the players are concerned. And then the new hitting coach for the Yankees, uh, former hitting coordinator for the minor leagues, Dylan Lawson, um, spoke with the media as well. Um, so out of those, I mean, Dylan's going to be the most polished because he's the coach and he has the experience. Um, and he, he kind of spoke on certain things um, that I'll, I'll be sharing some video later on to Twitter uh, just because I don't want to take any kind of quote out of context because I don't exactly remember how, you know, verbatim what was said. But one of the things that really impressed me was um, Anthony Volpe with the way that he conducted himself in the interview. Um, he, he looked a lot more polished than some of the other players were, um, granted, I don't know how many interviews a lot of the other guys have done. I'm, I know Anthony's done a whole bunch of interviews already. Um, so, you know, that was, that was the big thing for me as far as the takeaway goes. And I was kind of going into today. I didn't expect it to be any kind of media day. I was going in thinking it was going to be more mini camp. You know, the media is going to be here. It's just going to be two or three people. And then I was surprised to see almost a dozen different media members from New York. Um, see Meredith, as you mentioned before, with a setup for, you know, doing, doing some interviews. Um, so it wasn't so much uh, a typical mini camp like I've seen the past couple of weeks, but it was more, you know, we're going to do some batting practice. We're going to do this until 12. They're going to go have lunch and then we'll start doing some interviews, that kind of thing. So it was more media centric than it had been. Um, from what I've experienced the past couple of weeks. And tomorrow there's going to be another media day. There's some players that um, I'm definitely looking forward to. I don't know how much I can release and make public, but um, one of them is. Uh, there's there's going to be no Martian sighting, is there? Uh, I can't say yes or no, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Stay tuned to my Twitter. Um, but no, I mean, really, I don't, I don't know who, who we're going to see tomorrow because I'm not privy to the, the fancy email list that, uh, the rest of the media members are on. Apparently they met today. They were supposed to be there at nine 30 and that's when I left my house. So <laughs> I got there a little late, but you know, whatever, uh, I'm, I'm still fortunate and, and humbled to be a part of it. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm so grateful to, to do what I do and, and 
bring the coverage to all you, all, all of the it's listeners, okay, all the followers. It's okay, John. Tu eres cubano. They, they know that you come in on Cuban time, man. We, we all know. We all know we run on that Cuban time. Nosotros los cubanos. Ore pico, verdad? really. So I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned Volpe. Um, was there anything you said, you said the way he conducted himself, can you kind of elaborate on that? Was it anything he said in particular or just the way he said it? Like I've, I've heard him in other interviews and he seems very mature for, for his age. Like he seems beyond his years, but I want to hear it from you. Like what, what was your impression seeing him up close and personal like that? Yeah, then that that's kind of the vibe that I that I got from him, and even that even goes back to when I saw him last year, where he kind of and like Dylan Lawson said today, you know, I don't want to impose any kind of comparisons to a a major leaguer on these kids. You know, like a lot of people are saying that Jason Dominguez is going to be the next Mike Trout, like that that, and I agree with him. That doesn't seem fair and or sound fair to compare someone like that, but. To me, I do get a Captain League kind of vibe from Volpe from when he, you know, on, on an off the field kind of uh, mentality. Uh, and that's the way that I saw him today. He he was asking questions and he was answering them the Yankee way, I guess, is the way you could say it is, you know, he wasn't kind of BS in the media, you know, and just kind of giving them an answer to, on, a, on a dumb question. Um. But at the same time, you know, he was he was he was trying to say as much as he's allowed to say, because I'm sure there's certain things that he can't talk about being with the way, you know, a lot of confidential stuff that they can't talk about. But just the way that he carries himself um, is just like you say, beyond his ears. Um, and that's one of the things to me that. I really look forward to seeing in the Bronx, because I do I do see him in the Bronx with everything that I've seen on him. Uh, he's one of the ones that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing for sure. And, and did he look good on the field? Was, did he impress you again today? I know recently you mentioned that he almost took you out with a, with a line drive, I believe. Right. Yeah. He, so he was supposed to be uh, doing batting practice today, but for whatever reason, the cards didn't line up and he didn't do batting practice. Maybe they're going to figure out a way to get him tomorrow. Because I know that's the media is, is really here to see Volpe and Dominguez. Um, unfortunately, they don't really discuss a lot of the other guys. They don't know a lot of the other guys. And that's kind of where I come in. And that's where Pinstripe Prospects comes in. You know, that's because that's what we do. That's that's our thing. And that's my thing. So I didn't see Volpe today. I did see him last week um, because we didn't have a podcast last week. I can kind of discuss a little bit of what I've seen. He did almost take me out. He did almost take uh, break my shin in half. Um, that must have been like 100 plus mile an hour, just whizzing down the third baseline. Um, and just it hit the grass the right way and, and kind of almost went towards me. One of those bad hopper kind of things. Um, so it's just you got to be quick on your feet when you're doing what I do, I guess. Yes, sir. But, yes, sir. Got to have those reactions, right? <laughs> but yeah, he's he looks more i don't want to say polished um because he's still a raw product giving he he's only been in high a as you know as his top level so far but he does look better as far as power goes as far as consistency goes where he hits the the bat with the bat and the ball 
you know, getting the sweet spot almost consistently every time, low strike, high strike, waist high, you know, like all of those different places, I guess you can say within the strike zone, seeing him be so consistent almost every time hitting the ball perfectly is kind of one of those one of a kind kind of a prospects. Um, and I believe I mentioned previously that judge was the last one uh, judge was the last prospect that passed through Tampa where I felt like he was um, he was kind of, you, you can tell he was going to be something special. Um, and talking about judge, that kind of brings us to our next thing, which is we put up some uh, poll questions on our uh, hot Esquina pod Twitter. So let's go over to Twitter and see what one of the questions are. Uh, so Enrique, I'll get your input on this one. So we pulled the audience. We got 51 votes. Would you extend judge on a long-term contract with so many top prospects in the system? Only about 6% said no. So I would say an overwhelming majority said that they would extend judge um, either a long-term deal or less years. 68.6% uh, said long-term deal. 25.5% said less years. Um, I just spoke of how much of a fan I am of um, what I've seen of judge in the minors, you know, I, I really like what I've seen so far of him being in the Bronx. Um, but I want your input. What do you think of extending judge? Do you think, cause my, my, I'll just give you my, my two cents is I think they should extend him and I, they should make him a captain because he's kind of held that role in the dugout in the clubhouse as it is. And they, he, he deserves that, that title. I could not agree with you more. Um, I know a lot of people who know me personally are going to think that I'm a little biased when I give this take right now. And maybe I am because I am like one of the biggest judge homers. Like I'm a big time Aaron judge fan. I, as we said, when we first started this podcast, John, and like you've said several times, I'm more the major league guy. You're more the minor league guy, but but like we said from the beginning, I do pay attention to the minors. I just don't know the lesser known players. I know the guys that everybody else knows. And I know the guys that like make noise in the minors that catch your eye. Well, let me tell you, think back to 2016. I believe that was Aaron judge. Like this guy, I remember watching Yankees baseball back when they still had you know, Carlos Beltran, who interestingly now is going to be in the in the booth. Funny how we go full circle. You know, they had Brian McCann. They had guys like that. And all you heard about is these baby bombers in the minors like Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez making noise. And I just remember all the time getting, you know, alerts on my phone and, and you know, seeing stuff on social media about this kid, Aaron Judge hitting another homer, you know, for a second night in a row. Here comes Aaron Judge hitting on yet another homer. And it seemed like almost every day you, this kid would bang homers in the minors. I remember when, when he first got called up, when he finally got called up along with Tyler Austin, man, 
it, it was must watch TV. At least for me, it was John. Like I, I, I was glued to that television. Like if it was Christmas morning and you know, I, I, I was finally going to get to see my present unveiled, you know what I'm saying? Cause there was so much hype behind the kid and you know, he was young, he was homegrown and it was time, you know, the guys that were playing for the Yankees at that time were old, washed up and you had this young kid producing and I wanted to see what he could do ever since he's come in since 2017 all he's done is produce you know yeah he had that you know kind of slow start where he struck out more than he hit homers he still you know homered in his debut along with Tyler Austin I'll never forget that 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 home run that he hit to center field that was a monster shot my Mm -hmm. goodness um you know but but overall it was underwhelming that that half a year or, or a few months he was called up but after that my God, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, John, I think the year after he was literally the face of baseball. You know, he was in the home run derby down here in Miami, Florida, winning the whole gosh darn thing, you know, and, and they were putting him on, on Fox Sports like as one of the guys on the vignette for the All-Star game and all that. Like the kid was on a roll. And it's the reason I bring this up is because you never saw it get to his head. No, you never saw him get a big head from it. He always kept his cool. You want to talk about, you know, Captain esque in in Anthony Volpe, like you mentioned a little earlier. That's Aaron Judge. That's Aaron Judge. You you've never seen him get full of himself. You've never seen him try to show off. You've never. You always got that vibe, like you're saying, like like he should be the next captain. You always got that vibe from him. You never got, and I'm sorry to you A-Rod lovers out there, but you never got that A-Rod type of like, oh, my, you know, bleep don't stink. You know, you never got that from Judge. And it's not just the way he carried himself on the field. You know, he always gave 1,000% both defensively and hitting. Um, it, It was also the way he carried himself off the field. And you saw the type of teammate he was, I mean, granted, yeah, we can only see as fans what we see on television, but correct me if I'm wrong, John, but from what I see, he looks like he's beloved by all his teammates. And he's always literally one of the first guys cheering on his teammates when they do something good. You know, he he seems like a beloved guy in that, in that dugout. And, you know, his on the field stuff is, is speaks for itself. I mean, we don't need to rehash that 2017 season where he should have been MVP instead of uh, Altuve. We don't need to go over that. But like overall, you know, just every year you see him produce, you know, when he's healthy. I know there's there's injury risk with him and, you know, he's had issues staying healthy because of his sheer size. The, the guy looks like a monster. But when he's been on the field, he's produced steady numbers last year if i'm not mistaken last year he he had a 287 373 and 533 batting line with 39 home runs in 148 games for his career he has an ops plus of 150 i mean the guy has always been a beast on the field and like i said 
off the field, he's been great. And and in the community too, let's not forget in the community, he's always there. He's beloved by the fans. He's a guy that if you saw him in any other uniform, there'd be outrage by Yankee fans. I promise you this. So I say extend them. I say start out with the benchmark of what George Springer got, which was the six-year, $150 million deal that he signed with the Blue Jays prior to the 2021 season and go from there. Because I know Hal's going to want to, you know, play with that and try to pay him the less amount possible because Hal hates paying people. But you're not going to, you know, uh, you're not going to cheat him either. You know, the guy knows his worth. You're not going to cheat him either. He's probably not going to take a hometown discount. So I say pay the man, pay him what he wants. And, you know, as far as making him the next captain, you know, I, I would have no problem with it. And, you know, keep him in pinstripes for his whole career as far as I'm concerned. What do you think? So my, my rebuttal to that is he's 29. He's going to be 30 in April. Um, do we want, if you, so let's say we sign him for six years. Let's say that, you know, let's say that happens. Do we want to have another Brett Gardner where, you know, he, he's 34, 35, 36, and he's, he's not the best performer out there. You know, he, we can't depend on him. We have, I mean, if you look at the prospects that we have in the system, Dominguez, Pereira, Dunham. Um, I mean, there's there's so many good prospects out there. Why do you think the Yankees have any incentive to sign him for six years when you can get a Dominguez or a Pereira on the cheap? I mean, aside from the bonus that they that they signed for, but given the major league minimum and kind of given the direction that the Yankees seem to be going, it almost doesn't make sense for the Yankees to sign Judge. No, don't get me wrong. I love to have judge for six years, but if I have to be realistic, that seems to me to be the more realistic where they sign them for two or three years, you know, let the kids progress through the system, double A, triple A, whatever, uh, for the next couple of years. And then when they make their debuts, all right, see you later. I can, I can see the Yankees doing that because it almost seems like they care more about the wallet than they do the, the players and the fans. And it's, you know, it's, we need to keep in mind, Hal isn't his father. Um, that's, and this is something I was talking to a couple of Yankee fans at the, the 5k that I walked. Um, I don't run, I'm not in the shape to run. Don't worry. Uh, but there was, there was a 5k this past Saturday. And this is, this is something that a couple of fans and I were discussing is, this isn't George Steinbrenner's Yankees. George used to be able to, to go out, you know, I want you and I'm going to pay you what you want and we're going to sign you for X amount of years. Hal doesn't seem to be like that. And this is just a, a new generation of Yankees that the fans are going to have to get accustomed to. Whether they sign Judge for six years or three years or two years or one year, who knows? Um, the way that Judge is approaching it, I don't know if I necessarily agree with. And that's something that I heard some discussion on the Michael K show where he's saying you need to have something ready to go for me by opening day, or I'm not going to talk. And Michael K's point was, well, that's what you're, you're saying that that's what, that's what he's there for, that that's, 
that his his agent ready to play no matter what. No, that's what his oh. agent is for. Okay. Yeah, I had a brain fart. <laughs> I gotcha. No worries. That's what I'm here for to cover yeah. for you, John. No worries. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, realistically, if you if you think about it, the player isn't going to be the one that negotiates the deal. It's going to be the agent. So Aaron Judge can play for the Yankees because he still has one more year on his deal. And why can't you have his agent? I don't remember who his agent is. I can see if I can look real quick. Um, well, he's, he's with well, PSI Sports Management, so I don't know. I don't know who his agent particularly is, but you know, let, let's say it's Scott Boris, just because he's one of the better known ones. You let Scott Boris to do all the negotiation, let Aaron Judge play. You know, when they get close to a negotiation, kind of like the lockout stuff. Um. You let them figure it out, and then when the players want to, when the player finds something that he likes, okay, sure, we'll we'll agree with it, we'll sign. If not, then he's going to walk, and that's as simple as that. Yeah, um, I mean, I agree with you to an extent. However, my rebuttal <laughs> to your rebuttal is is a couple of things. Number one. Brett Gardner, even when he was at his, you know, prime, so to speak, he was always a contact guy, leadoff guy, and a speedster, you know, where he wasn't an impact guy as far as like RBIs, homers, OPS, all those things, you know what I'm saying? He was a top of the lineup guy. Judge is that guy that even as he gets older, now granted, this could go the opposite route. So, you know, don't get me wrong with what I'm about to say. But as he gets older, he can still be productive in that lineup, even as his body gets worn down because of age and you could DH him. And let's say a few years down the line when, as you say, Dominguez is ready and hopefully mashing and being the monster we all expect them to be. You could call him up and put him in right or center or whatever and have Judge DH. There's your answer to that, to that quandary. You know, if, of course, given, you know, your an extension with him that makes sense for Hal, because as you said, he is not his father. I completely agree with you on that. Now, as I said, it could go the other way and you could have, you know, an Alex Rodriguez situation where Alex was known for his power and his homers. And he wasn't the same guy in the latter parts of his career. And that's why the Yankees practically forced him to retire. You could have that too. I'm not blind to that. I know that could happen. But, you know, the guy, like I said, besides being what he is on the field, off the field, you just, I don't know, John, like maybe I'm wrong. And like I said, maybe my bias blinds me a little bit because I do have a bias for the guy. I have his jersey. And even my own son will tell you that he's my favorite player. Um. I just can't envision him in another uniform. I really can't. No, I, I mean, if I'm honest, I can't either. Um, and I'm, I'm almost just as biased as you are because I have a Tampa Yankees judge promotional t-shirt. Um, 
I think it was, he was number 31, I think is the number that I have. So seeing him climb through the farm, getting to the ultimate goal of getting to the Bronx, staying there, killing it in the Bronx, being loved by the fans. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate Yankee in a way. That's the ultimate baseball player, not even the ultimate Yankee, but just seeing him work his way up and achieve so much greatness and have so much, like I said, so much love and, and have the people saying he should be the captain. He should have been the captain. You know, what's taking so long. I, you know, I, I can't envision him in another uniform either. And seeing these photoshops of him in Dodgers uniforms kind of makes me sad because I don't, I don't really think that would ever happen. Yeah, no way. No way. I, I, I saw that and I felt like I wanted to puke. And remember, and remember, he he was a guy that coming up, he didn't have the fanfare that a Mike Trout had, or even recently, um who's that top prospect that Tampa had? Uh you know, the number one prospect in baseball. Fill me in, John. Um which one? Oh, the Wander Franco? Yeah, yeah. You know, where he had all the hype. And oh my God, it's Wander Franco day when he got called up. Judge didn't have that. He wasn't necessarily the top prospect in baseball when he got called up. But yet he he made a name for himself and he carved a role for himself in, in where he is today. Where, you know, you can make the argument. Yeah, maybe not every baseball fan knows where in Judge is outside of New York. But I guarantee you. A large portion of them do, even if they're not in New York, you know, especially after that 2017 season. So I say go for it, man. I say sign them, you know, don't go, don't go crazy with it. If you're Hal Steinbrenner, because that's your MO, I get it. Don't go crazy with it. We all know you, you value your pockets as I'm like hitting my wallet as I'm saying that, but, but don't be an idiot either, Hal. If you're listening, don't be an idiot. Don't let one of your top guys and most beloved guys go. You will regret it. You will have lots of backlash from fans. And maybe some of them might not even want to go to games. Like, not for nothing, but he's that beloved. Just yeah. saying. So the next question we have is, would you sign Correa? So Carlos Correa, even if he means he causes issues in the clubhouse, and especially given the prospects at shortstop, not too far out. So the prospects we're talking about, of course, are Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza. Now, the only notable with that is Oswald Peraza is on the 40-man, so we don't know how much playing time he's going to get because of the lockout. Um, but that aside, we did have a 56.6% yes, 43.4% no. Um, so I'll start off in saying that, obviously, I carry a little bit of bias because – I cover the minor leagues. You know, I prospect hug a little bit more than some other people might. Um, seeing Trey Sweeney today and seeing Anthony Volpe today, you know, with the way that they approach the media and talk to the media, like I said before, you know, they're going to, obviously they're going to have to get used to something like this because these are the people that are going to be talking to every day. You know, when, as soon as the game's done, they're going to be swarming these guys in the, in the, in the, um, the um the clubhouse so what do you think you do you think that Correa was going for Correa is a good way to go 
I mean, the way I look at it, I, I've said this before. I thought and still think that shortstop is the number one priority as far as uh, things to do in, the, in this offseason that don't involve in-house options. Obviously, in-house, number one, is extending judge. But as far as things to do this offseason that are not in-house, yeah, shortstop is your number one because you cannot go into this season with Gio as your shortstop again. You just can't. And you can't go with labor again. No way. So having said that and having said what you said, that maybe these guys aren't far off, but maybe they're not 2022 ready yet. I say go for the top available guy, even though you and me have talked about this off air, John, neither of us believe it'll happen. You know, we both believe that how we'll go the stop gap option. But if it was me, I would go the top guy. And for me, before he got signed to the Rangers, I thought that was Corey Seager. You know, I, I preferred him over Correa 10 times over, both um, from an on-the-field perspective because he's more of a contact guy and fits this lineup better. He would have fit in like a glove at the top of the lineup. And his, and his defense, yeah, maybe it's a little worse than Korea's, but it's a lot better than Glaber's. So I think he would have been the guy to sign. Now that he's off the table because he signed with Texas, I wouldn't mind seeing them go after Korea as much as I can't stand the guy. Because, I mean, what else do you got left? You know, the only thing you got left at this point is going for Trevor Story. And I'm not a Trevor Story fan. I think he's okay. He's nothing to, to, to get, you know, he's nothing to get excited about if the Yankees sign him, at least in my opinion. I don't know if you defer or if you have a different opinion on that, but I don't think he's anything to get excited over. So to me, it's either, you know, Correa, Story, or a stopgap option. And if it were me, I would go Correa. So I understand where you're coming from. As far as performance goes, I would say probably Correa. That being said, I would more if we if the Yankees were to go after some sort of a free agent, I would prefer that they go over go after Story. So I'm going to be a little bit on the on the opposite side of you. But one thing that I will uh, mention that I think we did discuss off air is the Yankees did sign before the lockout happened Jose Peraza, who did have some playing time with the Mets. I you know what it. That signing kind of makes sense because if they didn't sign Corey Seager when they had the opportunity to, having the guy with major league experience as a stopgap on the cheap, waiting for, uh, and let's say an August call up for Peraza, you know that kind of makes sense to me, with the way that that with the direction that the Yankees are going, that kind of makes sense. I hear you. I hear you. Um. I mean, look, if, if you're going to go that route, it's because you really feel that those kids are ready and they're primed to go as far as, uh, you know, um, not Volpe, but um, Oswaldo Peraza and uh, um, Cabrera, right? The, the other top prospect we have, uh, it's, it's per Peraza and Cabrera right 
So there's Oswald Peraza, who is the prospect. Oswald Peraza, I'm sorry. And then there's Jose Peraza. Why they have the two guys with the same last name at the same position, I don't know. Okay. But, but you're saying, yeah, so Oswaldo Cabrera would be close. I think he was in AAA, or he made a very brief appearance in AAA. Um, but he would be more of the second base, third base type than shortstop. He can play shortstop. Uh, but I've seen him play short uh, second more than I've seen him play short. So he would be the, more of the the Glaber kind of a replacement, I would say. Well, what I was saying was, is if any of those two kids are sh- are close, that would be the only reason you would go with Peraza as a stopgap or God forbid, because I know this this name gives people nightmares. but um going with a uh, Anderton Simmons type, you know, somebody like that. That would be the only reason you would do it because you feel those kids are close. But I mean, John, prospects are never guaranteed, man. I don't know. I don't know if you want to bet all your tokens on, on these kids and be, and, and what I mean by bet all your tokens and put all your chips into the table is that, do you really want to risk passing up? You know, you already passed up on on um, Seager, okay? Do you really want to risk also passing up on talents, the, cab- the caliber of Correa and Story, as much as I don't believe in him, but he's obviously an upgrade over Glaber and Gio, do you really want to risk passing up on those guys because you want to put all your chips in on the table for these two kids? I don't know, man. So the coaches from what I've seen and what I've heard, um, the coaches do see something different about those two guys. But like you mentioned, I mean, we have to remember there's top prospects like Eric Jagello and Cito Culver that were, if I remember correctly, they were like round one, round two picks. And they were kind of bust. But at the same time, that was at a time when 2014, they weren't really drafting that well. But that being said, on that same Tampa Yankees team, we did have Jake Cave, Greg Bird, Aaron Judge, uh, Peter O'Brien, who we saw play in the Dominican, Mike Ford, Kyle Higashioka. So that was that was still a pretty decent team. So, I mean, you kind of do sometimes have to hedge your bets on some of the some of the prospects see what happens. Um, but this year is going to be the big year for Volpe because he gets a double A. He gets experience, better pitching, that kind of thing. So this will be the, the make or break year to see what he does. But Peraza seems to be more proven given that he's had some triple A playing experience. I hear you. I hear you. And, and I completely agree with you that sometimes you have to take that gamble. But what I'm saying as far as taking the gamble, I mean taking the gamble while these two guys are available and don't cost you anything except money. You know, how often do you have a free agency period where you have three viable upgrades at a position available to you for only money where you don't have to trade for them? You don't have to, you know, trade the farm away. They literally only cost you money. You know? nada, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's, you're saying it's only money. Como casi nada. It's, it's, I mean, it's, exactly. not like, it's not like you're breaking the piggy bank, you know, exactly. just to, but 
at the same time. So por eso I, que yo digo, y por eso que yo digo, like that, that's what I mean by pushing all your chips on the table. It's yeah. basically like you're saying, okay, we know a Carlos Correa is available. He's great. We know a Trevor Story and a Corey Seager available. They're great. But we believe in these kids so much that we're willing to pass on this shortstop free agency class to, to give these kids a chance. Like that's a decision that could come to bite them in the you know where or make them look like geniuses. It could go either way. There, there's no middle ground. They're either, if they go that route, which we don't know because we won't know until the lockout's over because, you know, Story and Correa remained unsigned. So for all we know, you know, the lockout could be over and they signed Correa the first day and this little debate we're having is a non-issue. You know what I'm saying? But the way I see it is if they do decide to go that route and they do decide to say, we believe in these kids, Like I said, there's no middle ground on it. They're either going to look like geniuses or they're going to look like you know what's, you know, they're, they're going to, so I don't know, man, it's, it's a very big risk. And I don't know if I would take it if I was uh, in Hal Steinbrenner's shoes. So this is one situation where I'm glad I'm not Hal. I agree with you there. Uh, so we're going to get into our last question on the poll uh, thread that we put up on Twitter. And that is, would you sign Trevor Bauer as a top starter, giving his off the field history? And that was a bit more of a landslide than I expected it to be that we both really expected it to be. Um, and that's just a 70.6% of, uh, out of the 68 votes said, no, um, I have to agree. I mean, there, I don't, I don't think the Yankees want to get involved with that. I mean, given like we were discussing uh, a couple of days ago or yesterday off air, um, Domingo Herman, um, all the stuff that he's dealt with, um, they, they kind of, that was a little bit more under the radar than Trevor Bauer. I think just because of the name that Trevor Bauer is, but I don't think the Yankees would want to get involved in that. And I don't think the fans would want the Yankees to get involved in that. What do you, uh, what's your take on that? The whole Trevor Bauer thing is interesting because we're looking at this again from a speculation standpoint, much like what I just mentioned with Correa and with a story where, you know, like I said, we're mentioning them as possible landing spots for the Yankees once the lockout is over. And, you know, that they might not go to the Yankees once the lockout is over. But then we don't know because we're in a lockout and we don't know what the Yankees are thinking. So for all we know, like like I just mentioned, the Yankees could very well sign one of them the first day the lockout is over. And then this that conversation we just had about either of them signing is a non-issue or whether to bet on the kids rather than signing them is a non-issue because the first day of the lockout, they sign them. The same thing applies here with the Trevor Bauer situation. Now, for those of you that have been living under a rock and don't know, Trevor Bauer was recently cleared of all charges involving his situation with the young lady who he apparently had rough sex with 
and did things to her that she did not consent to. But it was, uh, he said, she said, there was a lot of, you know, things that didn't add up. There was a lot of text from her where it looked like she was basically, you know, trying to go after him, trying to entice him. She basically made herself look like, quote unquote, she wanted it, you know. But then you got this guy who's a class A scumbag. I'll say it. I'm sorry if I'm upsetting anybody on, you know, social media or whatever. I'm sorry. He is what he is. He's not a good guy. And he didn't do any favors for himself, putting himself in that position. The point of it all was that neither of them could prove their side. She couldn't prove that she didn't consent. And Bauer couldn't prove that she that she did. So it was a he said, she said, and it was thrown out. It's a, it's a very ugly situation, especially given the, the day and age we're living in. You know, we're living in 2022, John. We're living in the midst of the Me Too movement, and we're living in an era where women are respected a lot more than they ever were and taken more seriously than they ever were. And these accusations are taken a lot more seriously than they ever were. So given that a New York sports talk radio show recently brought up the hypothetical, what if LA wants to wipe themselves of this wants to clean their hands of this and they don't want anything to do with this guy because it will be nothing but negative PR for them having him employed by them. You know, that there will be a lot of backlash, especially from the female persuasion or, you know, from people that just are disgusted by the guy, period, no matter what their gender is. They brought up the hypothetical that if L.A. does do this and they do decide to get rid of him, would you, as a Yankee fan, want the Yankees to jump in and, you know, basically take a flyer and basically trade for the player, not the person? Because, again, we all know he's a scumbag. We all know he's, you know, very arrogant, very full of himself. but. Bauer the player, Bauer the pitcher, would you want him on this pitching staff? I am of the persuasion that character issues aside, the pitcher I would want, yes. Because let's face it, you look at this pitching staff. You got Garrett Cole. You got Jamison Tyone. You got Jordan Montgomery. You got Nasty Nestor. And you got a Domingo Herman. All right, that's your five. From the top of my head, I believe that's your five. You're going to tell me, pitching-wise, Trevor Bauer's not an upgrade over three-fifths of that rotation? Of course he is. Of course he is. Like, Like, come on, guys. Let's not live under a rock here. But it's it's the give and take situation where, yeah, the pitching is great, but then 
you're basically taking all that backlash onto the Yankees and you're taking all that negative PR on the Yankees. And I don't know if, I don't know if Hal wants that. I don't know if Hal wants to associate himself with that. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, from a pitching standpoint, I would take him eyes closed. But from a personality standpoint, even before this whole debacle with this young woman, I, you know, I, I don't think he's a good person. I think he's arrogant. I think he's full of himself. Between me and you, John, I think he's he's got some some issues, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's, he's not all right in the head, you know what I'm saying? But you can't deny his talent. So, I mean, personality-wise, I say no, but talent-wise, I would have said yes, eyes closed, especially given the need for another top-tier pitcher to match up with Garrett Cole. What do you think? I don't know if he's worth giving a prospects for. And again, that just kind of goes back to me prospect-hugging. Um, Ken Waldachuk was one of the ones that we spoke with today, we being the media uh, in Tampa, and he's supposed to be one of the, the top guys that they're really looking forward to making the big leagues. Um, you look at, you know, going back to the trades that, that happened this past season, Glenn Otto was one of the top arms, and he debuted for Texas towards the end of the season. He could have done a debut for the Yankees this past season because he's that good. So there's a lot of good arms in the system. I guess the question is more, is it worth waiting? And this goes back to like what we were talking about before with extend judge and sign Correa and all that. Is it worth waiting for these prospects to mature? Or are we really in that much of a win now attitude? And given what I've seen on Yankees Twitter, a lot of the fans are in the win now attitude and I totally get it. I, you know, the whole time that I've lived in Florida since 2009, I haven't seen the Yankees win a World Series. So, yeah, I, obviously I'd like to see the Yankees win a World Series because at the bottom of it, you know, I am a Yankee fan. When I'm at the field, I have to be unbiased because that's just the way media has to operate. But, you know, deep down, I want to see these guys succeed and I want to see them win a World Series. And that's just, you know, that's just me being a Yankee fan. But... I don't think the Yankees would want to get involved with Trevor Bauer. He could be Shohei Otani, but I don't think given his off the field stuff that they want to get involved with that. I agree. I agree. I think, I think the, the off the field issues, unfortunately for him, far outweigh the possible, good he could do for this pitching rotation which like i said it's is substantial because we're talking about a former cy young winner Let, let's let's not kid ourselves here he's he's good he's very good you know is he garrett cole and jacob de grom good no no let's not kid ourselves either but is he that in that next tier yeah yeah you can make an argument he is so talent-wise, man, it, it's that's why this is such such a a bad look for him and such an unfortunate situation all around because talent-wise, he's he's great. It's just the personality, man. It's 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 awful. 
and and the decisions I mean why put yourself in in that situation that he recently put himself in with that young lady why why do that to yourself i just i don't get it john i don't know uh, so now we want to briefly talk about um, the news that broke today within the Yankees uh, universe on Paul O'Neill uh, getting his number retired in um, Monument Park, I guess. I didn't read the full press conference because I was at the minicamp event thing, whatever, in Tampa, and I heard the the little bit of a mumble between the press um, on Paul O'Neill, but Yes, I, I am happy for Paul in getting his number retired. He is considered one of the Yankee legends in my in my book. Um, but at the same time, the Yankees are going to run out of numbers in the next decade the way they're going. Um, and we're going to see a lot more 99s and 81s and that kind of thing, you know, because for all we know, Anthony Volpe is going to get there and he's going to be number 102. Just, you know, with the way that the, with the pace that they're retiring the numbers. So. Uh, what do you think, Enrique, on having so many Yankees uh, get their numbers retired? Because I think at this point we're just about from 1 to 21, like somewhere around there is almost all the numbers are retired. I know 1 through 10 are. Um, I don't know all of the numbers that are retired. I, I mean, for me, for me, I'm, I'm a little biased on this, too, because Paul O'Neill has always been my favorite Yankee. He's my all-time favorite Yankee, so I couldn't be happier for him. Congratulations, Paul, if you happen to listen to our uh, young, very young up-and-coming podcast. I would be honored, sir. And if you do listen to this episode, I want to tell you congratulations. You deserve this 1,000% deserve it um this guy gave his heart to this organization john um ever since he was traded from cincinnati man like he the term glue guy and clubhouse guy gets thrown around a lot in sports but that was paul like you know that 90s team they were lacking personality until Paul O'Neill got in the clubhouse, make no mistake. And everything he did on the field and off the field, I mean, for goodness sakes, I remember one time he, he hit a homer thinking it was going to be a pop fly. And he was mad at himself because he thought it was going to be a pop out. He slammed his bat and then ran the bases when he realized it was a home run and he was mad the whole way. I've never seen that, you know, and you know, we could, talk about all the times he banged the coolers because he was mad you know the times that that one time he was mad and kicked the baseball into the infield you know there's so many moments and so many memories I mean the guy was practically in tears when Yankee Stadium and by the way you know you've done something right when you got the entire Yankee Stadium chanting your name which they did for him back in the day and he left he left the field that day crying. I'll never forget. This guy gave his heart and soul to this organization. So big ups to you, Paulie. I, I, like I said, I couldn't be happier for you, sir. I know you already have your, your plaque in Monument Park. I made sure that when I took my son to Yankee Stadium for the first time, he took a picture next to Paulie's plaque. 
And it, it's only fitting that now he'll have his plaque and his number in Monument Park and nobody will ever wear number 21 again. Per your question, as far as where do we stop and where do we go from here? I'm with you, John, but unfortunately, you know, this is what happens when you have an organization that's existed for over a hundred years at this point. I mean, think about it. You know, this is this is a dynasty, a, a, a legacy team that's been around since the beginning of baseball, you know, back when they were the Highlanders, you know what I'm saying? So when you got a team that's been around that long, you're bound, not always, I get it, but in the Yankees case where they've done everything the right way for so long, you're bound to get legends that play for you and legends, Hall of Famers, and just guys that meant that much to your team deserve that respect to have their numbers retired. And, you know, think about it. It's not like the Yankees do this for just anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, take for anybody that's taken a trip down to Monument Park in Yankee Stadium, you tell me anybody's number you see there that you think doesn't deserve to be retired. You'd be hard-pressed to find one. So, yeah, I agree with you that it's it's a lot. And at some point, they're going to run out of numbers. But, I mean, what else can you do? You know what I'm saying? Like, what else can you do? Do you, do you at some point not retire a Hall of Famer's number or a Yankee great's number and, and risk, you know, <laughs> I'll give you the perfect example, John. And I know we're going to laugh about this, but let's just, let me just throw one out there, even though he wasn't a homegrown Yankee, but you know, he played for the Yankees and he should be a hall of famer and it's a crying shame. He's not, but let's just throw a perfect example to kind of fit my, my logic here. The Yankees had Roger bleeping Clemens pitch for them and we're number 22, right? If he was a homegrown Yankee, that number would have been retired because he's bleeping Roger Clemens. It wasn't who wore it after him, Jacoby Ellsbury, bro. You tell me that's not like going from way up here to like way down here. You know what I'm saying? Like we went on opposite sides of the spectrum with those two, as far as talent is concerned and availability is concerned. So you don't want to take that risk. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I say, don't do it for just anybody, but I mean, if you got a great player, why not? You know? So my two cents on that is, and I, I, I mean, you're not wrong. I don't, I don't disagree with you one bit, but so my thought on it is what if you have someone like a number 20, number 20 could be either Bucky Dent or Jorge Posada. Who do you retire the number for? You know, Bucky Dent, he's, he's not really a legendary Yankee, like a Paul O'Neill, Jorge Posada, Derek Jeter, that kind of thing. But he had his moment, you know, he had his 15 minutes of fame, so to speak. Um, you know, do you, do you do a ceremony where you retire it for both of them? 
you know, like it, and that's kind of the thing that you have to kind of think about where you have the numbers get worn so many times. So like, let's say they did retire number 22 for Clemens, let's just as a what if. Do you invite Ellsbury to that ceremony, given everything that happened with that? Like, I mean, that's that's the flip side of that, you know, it, uh, if they did, John, to answer your question quickly, if they did, I think we would have a lot of angry Yankee fans. I'm just saying that just would be speculating. That would be, yeah, that Yankee Stadium would be empty that day. Sorry for Roger, <laughs> but that's just you'd have a lot of Yankee fans being like, "Why is why is that yeah. guy here?" <laughs> so, I, I mean, I I understand why they do it. You know, I'm excited for Paulie. Um, he's one of my favorite Yankees, especially seeing him get angry at the water coolers. You know, that's that's definitely one way to get your anger out. Maybe that's where Brett Gardner got his anger bits from, you know, smashing the bat and in, into the dugout and smashing the bat into the into the bat holder in the dugout. And, you know, he's just kind of maybe that's why Brett Gardner is loved as much as he is, because he's more of a, a representation, a more modern day representation of what Paulie was in the 90s dynasty so you know what you're not wrong you're like not it, wrong i never thought of it that way but you're right yeah if you kind of think about it like that's kind of the way that i see brett garner except brett garner is the homegrown guy and i would imagine somewhere down the line he's going to get his number retired too and he's another one that deserves it i mean paulie wasn't homegrown so to speak but he wasn't like it wasn't like he was here for a cup of coffee. If I'm, oh. if I'm not mistaken, he was with the Yankees for like nine seasons. Yeah. Most of his career, he was with the Yankees, but Brett Gardner, I mean, he was homegrown. He played Tampa Yankees, I think 2004 or six or something like that. I don't remember exactly when it was, but before I moved down here, I know that much. And I have a Brett Gardner number six shirt as well for the, for Tampa Yankees somewhere. I mean, listen, nine seasons, like I said, if I'm not mistaken, that's how long he played for the Yankees. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, nine seasons, 1993 till 2001. Listen, for some guys, that's a career. Some guys don't get to play more than nine seasons. So, I mean, he played nine seasons with the Yankees, you know, four-time World Series champion, four-time All-Star. I mean, he wasn't homegrown, John, but it's like he was. It's like he was. So, I mean, I think, I think, you know, this is more than deserved for Paulie. Um, I couldn't be happier for him. And, and going back to what you just said about Brett, like I said, man, you, I never thought of it that way, but you're a hundred percent right. And, and I'm saying this even before he started the whole banging the dugout thing with the bat, like he just always had that, that look on his face, like mess with me. I dare yeah. you just like Paulie did like that, that intimidating look on his face. And it's funny cause he's probably half the size of, of Paul O'Neill, but he came, he came with that country boy attitude, like mess with me. I dare you and mess with my boys. I dare you. Like, I promise you, he was always probably the first guy out of the dugout in any brawl, you know? And 
he brought it on the field too, just like Paulie did. 100% effort every time he was on the field. You know, I, I think that's why he was so beloved up until a couple of seasons ago where fans just are like, bro, at what point do we let Brett Gardner go? Because he's already old. But, I mean, I'll tell you, I don't know if Brett will get his number retired ever, but I'll tell you what, even if he doesn't, that's another guy that's beloved by Yankee fans that if he's ever welcome to uh, old timers day, fans would go nuts. Like the, the ovation, the standing ovation would be crazy, John, you know that. So that's, that's a very good comparison. I never thought of it, but yeah, you can make a lot of comparisons between the two and you could easily say Brett is the modern day Paul O'Neill for sure. So we're going to wrap things up um, with the uh, the fan questions. Um, we did only get one fan question this uh, the past time that we did ask two weeks ago um, by our friend of the podcast, Julian Giarty. Uh He asks, in regards to the minicamp, how are the pitchers looking and who has impressed you the most? Um, and if I'm honest, it, I can't really tell how the pitchers are looking because of the access that I have. I can only look at pitchers behind third base. So I can't really see what the control is like. So I can only look at, let's say the Y axis, the up and down. I can't look at the exact location of where they're able to place the ball. So I can really, if anything, look at the motion, see if anything looks janky. And I mean, as far as that's concerned, everybody that I've seen really looks good. Um, the couple times that I've seen the, the pitchers do any kind of like a live batting practice sim game kind of thing, where they face batters, they all look good. I mean, nobody was awful. Nobody got beat up, so to speak. But the one, um, the one pitcher, if I had to narrow it down to one, the one pitcher that really blew me away was Mitch Spence. And that's primarily because I didn't see him play in Tampa. So I didn't really know what to expect out of him. Uh, but there's there's a couple guys that I kind of have my eye on now. Mitch Spence is one of them. Waldachuk is another one that I didn't get to see, get to see. So, you know, as camp goes on, we still got another month and a half ish somewhere around there until uh, camp winds down and then the season starts up. So, you know, there's there's lots more guys. There's a group of guys that just started today. Um, Spencer Henson, one of them that I didn't really get to see much last year because he got hurt. Jake Sanford was another one that um, that made his way down from Canada. I saw him do a little bit of batting practice today. So, you know, there's a lot of time still for uh, me to see some of the pitchers. So maybe we'll, we'll revisit that in another couple of weeks, maybe a month or so. And maybe once access opens up, then uh, I can give a, a little bit better of an impression. And we definitely look forward to that, John. We, we always look forward to your insight and your, your reporting man I, I know I speak for everybody on social media and on Twitter and everybody that's had the pleasure of knowing you man you you do a wonderful job in in what you do and we we definitely appreciate you for everything you do thank you Enrique and I do appreciate all the kind words that the fans have passed my way the past couple of weeks um you know I'm, I'm truly humbled with the the recognition that I'm getting because at the end of the day, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular Yankees fan. You know, a year ago, I would have never imagined getting the access that I'm getting, being able to do what I do. So, you know, I, I am truly grateful for 
any feedback that I've been getting uh, from anybody on social media. Um, so thank you. Um, but that is all for this week. We'll be back with more baseball content, no matter what, in the weeks to come. Hopefully we'll have better lockout news next week. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hot Esquina Pod, where we'll take more of your questions for upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening.